0: There was, a, there was a woman who uh, really loved her pastor, and her, uh, her past, she thought her pastor was just the bee's knees, the cat's meow. was awesome. And so, and just loved the way that he served, and so she got him a, a sticker saying, world's most humblest pastor, and she gave it to him. So next Sunday, he wore that because he was happy. Wore that, came up, sta- came up on stage, and when he said hello to everyone, there she was, marched right back into front, got up on stage, went up to him, and ripped it off, and walked back down. <laughs> humility is hard humble submission is harder as much as people may not want to believe it but god's ways do not necessarily match our desires in fact psalm 37 4 i'm sure many of you guys are well aware of this verse when it talks about delighting in the lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart you've heard that right it doesn't mean that god's ways will match our desires rather it means that since we delight in him so much Our desires will match his. Our desires will match his. You know, there was a time when I was young and single, right? There was a time, and I would love. I I thought about homes, and I and I had this idea. I would love to live in like a modern industrial loft. How cool would that be, right? A modern industrial loft. And but now, as a husband, father, two kids, my desire has changed to a home with three bedrooms, and ample space for my kids and my dog to run around. It would a loft be cool? Absolutely. Sure, but my desire is no longer for that because it's not something that my family would delight in. It would be unsafe. Have you seen lofts, right? Very unsafe, especially with two young kids. Very impractical. We have lost stuff. It would be small. I have submitted to the fact that I'm a father. I'm not some lone guy. I'm not a bachelor. I'm a husband, and what I desire are the desires of my family because I love them to death. The things that my kids want, things my wife wants. No different with us and God. We too must submit to the fact that God is our God and that we are His. We must delight in Him. And so our responsibility, the responsibility is to humble ourselves before God's mighty hand and submit to Him. Ask yourself, am I submitting to the Lord today? Do you want what God wants today? Or do you still want God to want what you want? We have to humble ourselves before God, amen? Let's get into the passage. Abimelech has lots of reasons to distrust Abraham. After all, Abraham lied to him about Sarah being his wife. And this, all, this ultimately brought a curse upon Abimelech's entire household. So Abimelech, he had enough reasons to not have anything to do with Abraham. In fact, we see that evidence in verse 23 where Abimelech wants Abraham to swear, hey, you'll never deal falsely with me again, will you? Like, make a promise, man. I, was, I got really hurt. Don't do it again. But in spite of all the issues that Abimelech might have had against Abraham, the obvious reality was that God was doing something pretty amazing in Abraham's life. God was making Abraham incredibly rich, but also incredibly influential and incredibly powerful. And verse 22 points out, Abimelech, he sees all this about who Abraham has become and is, and he says, God is with you in all that you do. I see that. God is with you in all that you do. So Abimelech, he might have not necessarily liked, and he certainly didn't like what he experienced with Abraham in the past, but he realized and he could not doubt that God's mighty hand was upon Abraham. That the Lord was with Abraham. He's thinking God is with this guy. God is with him. It's obvious to see. And so Abimelech, he had to humbly submit to this reality. And so he came seeking to make a treaty with Abraham. Now we can say that it may have been politically motivated after all. A lot of nations, they try to seek security treaties when a neighboring nation has suddenly, all of a sudden, grown increasingly powerful. But in Psalm 2, it says that God, his anointed one, is the ultimate rising power. And every ruler should humble themselves before the Lord. It says here, Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. You see, Abimelech's desire to strike a treaty with Abraham wasn't just because Abraham was rich and powerful. Yes, it was true. He was rich and he was powerful and he was influential. It was because Abimelech knew that his greatness didn't come from within, but it came from God. The greatness of Abraham, the exaltation of Abraham Abraham was because, you see, Abraham exalted God the Father. Despite the many failures and imperfections of Abraham despite the fact that Abraham caused a whole lot of drama despite all that Abimelech he still saw something captivating he still he saw something different something so awesome that he just had to be a part of it somehow he had to be a part of it and so he humbled himself before God by exalting Abraham look I think it's obvious That we've all said and done things in the past that have hurt our witness, meaning this. That we haven't always displayed the light of Christ all too well in our lives, right? We've hurt people. We've uttered careless words. We've gossiped behind people's backs. We've done things where I'm sure we'd all be eager to take back if we could. But I want you guys to know this and be encouraged by this. Do not discount what God is still doing in your life and through your life, despite your failings. You see, as problematic as Abraham was, he was faithful enough to come back to the Lord in faith and in repentance. He was always eager to submit back to the Lord. He makes mistakes. You guys have heard my sermons? Mistake after mistake after mistake where you see him groveling back to the Lord, coming back to him. And that faithfulness and obedience, despite all his imperfections, despite all his failings, has actually made the light of God shine brighter in him. How beautiful is that? I also believe that we have many failings, but by the grace and mercy of God through Jesus, we can come to repentance and pursue a life of obedience when we surrender ourselves to the Lord, no matter how blemished your past was, no matter how much you messed up, no matter how many failings you've had, God's line will shine brightly in you, and it will draw others to see and acknowledge like Abimelech did, huh, David, huh, grace, God is with you in all that you do. And I want that. I want that. Now before we start praising Abimelech's humility, let's look at Abraham and his response. So remember, God promised to give Abraham all the land that he was living in. Now here comes Abimelech, right? Supposedly this king of a part of the promised land. And so Abimelech comes to Abraham and he wants to make this deal, this treaty with him. Right? And he goes, I want what you have, God, but I also want to protect myself. I want what the treaty entails. I want protection from your growing power and influence. Now think about that. Abraham is numero uno right now. Bimelech is maybe number two. Abraham is strong, powerful, influential. And here we have this king who owns a part of the land. And he goes, let's make a pact. Let's make a deal. Let's make a treaty. How would you have responded if you were Abraham? I'll tell you how I would have responded. I would have been like, are you kidding me? What do I get out of it? Right? What do I get out of it? How is this a mutual exchange? You need me, but I don't need you. You need me, but I don't need you. One day, I'm just going to crush you under my feet the day that the Lord gives me this entire land, treaty, no way. I don't need you. I don't care about you. You offer nothing to me. You are nothing to me. Right? If there's no benefit for us, Why bother with the treaty? But God had told Abraham that he would inherit the land, but he would not inherit it now. He would not inherit it now. In fact, he'd have to wait 400 years later. And only then God would actually give the land to his descendants. But here's the thing Abraham was on cloud nine right now, he was on a roll. No one could stop him. He was amassing great wealth, he was amassing great power, great influence. After all, treaties are people who are scared. Treaties are for people who are on the lower rung of the ladder. People who need each other. But Abraham, he could have thought, I'm doing great right now. I don't need this. I don't need you. But none of that got into Abraham's head because he knew the time had not yet come, although it may have looked like it had come. Even though great things were happening in the now, Abraham still knew and he trusted it's not about the now. It's about the later. And so he humbled himself under God and for God's appointed time. So when Abimelech made the request for a treaty, Abraham says, you got it. I will swear. So Abraham continued to live as a pilgrim. He continued to live as a stranger in the land, and he humbly waited for God's time while submitting to the treaty with Abimelech. Do you remember when Melchizedek said, hey, Abraham, all right. You've done a lot of great things. Now here's 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 the deal. I want you to strike with me. Give up everything, right? You remember that? Give up everything and live as a foreigner. Well, it seems like Abraham is getting tested again. Abraham could have easily said, I am done now. It's time for me to settle and to rest and to kind of reap my harvest here. It's time for me to settle, pursue my dream, pursue after my ambitions, build my house, my kingdom, my community, my people, my family. But no, in Hebrews chapter one, verse one, it says, by faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents. Folks, I want you guys to know this. If our investments are in things and not in people, then we're living for the world. You hear me? If your investments, the things that you are committing, your time, your resources, your energy, your talent, your giftings, all that are into things of the world, but not in people, then you're living for the world. For the believer, this is not our home. This is not our home. This place is not it, and the things of this place are not ours. Like Abraham, we too are strangers in a foreign land. Amen? God has promised us the whole world. We are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. But for now, for now, we live as strangers here in this world. And as we live here, God, he calls us to submit to every human authority for the sake of Christ. While we live here, we're called to endure suffering while still clinging on to the promises of God. Like Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6, while we live here in this world, we're called to be genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful and yet always rejoicing, poor and yet making them rich, having nothing and yet knowing we possess everything. That's how we live in this world. This is not our life. This is not our world. The things of this world are not ours. What does the Lord ask of us today? He says, In every way, in every turn, with every pain and every day, humble yourselves under the mightiness, under the greatness, under the awesome hand of God, so that people might see Christ in us. So that they may see the great and the might and the glory of God in us so that we can live a life of faithful obedience, trusting in the promises of God. You see, like Abraham, we don't live for the now. He said, It may seem like now. Even though it may makes sense to live in the now. He says, live in the promises of God. Invest in people, not in the things of the world. My second point is this. We must pursue peace and justice. Turn to the neighbor and say, be peaceful and uh, pursue justice. Now, we can't just end with the first point because we won't get the full picture of how God intends for us to live as strangers in this world. You see, it's now about submitting to whatever happens or whatever the issue of injustice is and that we are just supposed to take it like some doormat. Although there is some truth in that, right? We're told to turn the other cheek after all. But this passage suggests that there's more to it than just simply being passive in this life. Because as we humble ourselves before God, we're also called to pursue peace and justice and justice. And that's what Abraham did. So Abraham, he accepts this treaty with Abimelech in humble submission, even though Abraham knew all this land would be his to begin with. But in his submission, he doesn't just become passive in regards to things that were right and wrong. Now, here's the thing. There was a problem between Abimelech and Abraham. Another one, by the way. Abimelech's men had stolen a well. Had stolen a well which Abraham's people had dug. Digging a well is very difficult. I've actually tried It was in missions, and I got about this deep before I started getting blisters. I'm like, oh, does someone have lotion? (laughs) It's incredibly difficult now as it was even more so then. Not only that, it was a horrible offense because water in the desert was a scarcity. It it was a matter of life and death. An entire camp would surround itself, center itself around the well because it would be completely dependent on it. Their livestock would need it. The people would need it all the time. So the fact that Abimelech stole it was a huge offense. So while Abraham agrees his treaty, he insists that Abimelech give him his well back. Now, here's the thing. Abraham wasn't holding the treaty hostage, but he was pursuing justice along with peace because he was contending for what was right and what was his. In fact, Abraham, he doesn't just casually mention it. He pursues it. He doesn't pursue it by being manipulative or by power plays. No, he pursues after justice and peace. With grace. He pursues after justice and he pursues after peace with grace. How does he do it? By serving Abimelech. So that it would make it easy for him, for Abimelech, to do what is right. Now, here's the thing uh, Abraham provides the animals for the covenant, this treaty that they're about to make. Do you guys remember how covenants were made? By dividing the sacrificial animals in half, walking between them together. But then Abraham, he brings in extra ewes or female sheep from his flock. So Abimelech says, what are those seven other animals for? And Abraham says, ah, those are a gift from me to you as a witness that I dug this well. Now this may not seem like a big deal, but it was a pretty darn gracious act on Abraham's part. Abraham had every right to say, hey, remember when you stole the well from me? I have every right to it. Give it back to me. I'm owed this. It's my right to have. I made it. I dug it. It's got my name on it. But here's the difference between the way Abraham dealt with the situation and the way that we oftentimes would. You see, Abraham was far more concerned about the relationship of peace than simply getting what he thought he deserved. Do you get that? He was more concerned about maintaining peace than getting what he thought he deserved. And in so doing so, Abraham was able to achieve peace and and justice. Jesus says, Blessed are all the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. But then we also know in Scripture it says, Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. It's not an either-or thing. It's about doing both. It's about doing both. But sadly, today I believe we're all about justice and not about peace. Right? We're all about fighting and protesting and writing about various issues that are relevant and need to be addressed absolutely, but there's no peace. For us as Christians, oftentimes it's all about just blasting people with truth, but with no grace. You hear me? Saying, you are wrong. You are sinful. The fact is, yeah, they are wrong. It is sinful, but where is the grace? We believe that as, as long as things are made right, as long as truth is declared, the end justifies the means. But that's not always the case because in seeking justice and in proclaiming truth, if there's no peace and if there's no grace, then get this, then there will be no cross. You hear me? Then there would be no cross. God would be right in seeking justice and that justice would be condemning us all sinners to hell because justice is to make right what is wrong. And folks, against God, we are all in the wrong. But in God's pursuit of justice, he also pursued peace. And as his son was put on the cross to satisfy the wrath and justice of God so that we might have peace through salvation. Hallelujah. You see, it's not just justice. It's justice and peace. It's not just truth. It's truth with grace. Can I hear an amen? We all want to be right. But even in the way we pursue that, we can be wrong. We must courageously diligently and selflessly pursue what is right and what is true, but we have to do it with grace and peace, which can only be found in Christ Jesus. Amen? Do you know the gospel, people? Do you know the gospel? Because knowing the gospel ensures that we will always speak truth with grace, always pursuing justice with peace. Without the gospel, there will always be an imbalance. And to have one without the other will only bring more pain, more confusion, and will ultimately hurt your representation of Christ because you'll only be showing one side of the coin. My last point is this, rest in God alone. Turn to the neighbor and say, you need to rest in God. Say, you got some spiritual bags under your eyes. You've heard that saying before, right? Be in the world, but not of the world. Be in the world, but not of the world. John seventeen sixteen. that's where it comes from. Jesus praying for his disciples. I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sancti- sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. Okay, so we usually have problems with this. We know that the world, the governing authorities, the cultures, the trends are usually at, fundamentally at odds with the word of God and his promises. So sometimes our response is to completely reject the world and call it evil. The world is the enemy. I want nothing to do with it. I'm just going to stay within my own little Christian bubble. On the other hand, sometimes we try to avoid tension between the world and us. So we get a little too cozy with its power. We get a little bit too cozy with its influence. And what the world offers ends up becoming really our hope. Ends up becoming our hope for a better life or a better future what did Abraham do? What did he do? Which one did he pick? Door A or door B? Neither. He avoided both of them. You see, yes, on one hand, he made peace with Abimelech, even though God promised him this land, even though there was this history of tension with him, even though it may seem like Abimelech was trying to find security for himself and creating this, requesting this treaty. In other words, he was trying to leech off of Abraham. But still, Abraham made a covenant of peace. He worked out the tensions, and God granted him a long time stay in that land. But Abraham, he didn't fall in the opposite trap either. Even though he had Abimelech come to an agreement, even though there was no real guarantee of security or peace from the other, Abraham's faith was not in this entire deal. His faith was not based on this political deal that he had with Abimelech. So what happened? Abimelech and his commander, they went back to the land of the Philistines. But Abraham, what did he do? He set up a memorial to the Lord. So he planted a tree in Beersheba, a tree called the tamarisk, which is known for its longevity. And then Abraham, he publicly and he wonderfully worshipped the Lord, calling him Jehovah, the eternal God. Calling him what? Yahweh, El Olam. This is a difficult passage to apply because we're all so used to saying, Okay, God, just tell us what to do. We'll do it. If you say, go through door A, we'll go through door A. If you say to jump, we'll say, how high? Tell me what to do. Do I resist and fight against the forces within our culture and government that are bent on shutting up Christianity? Or do I give in a little bit? Do I compromise a little bit? Perhaps not share as much controversial statements in Scripture so much at work or at school because I don't want to you know, rub people the wrong way. And maybe, hopefully, the unbelieving world will actually bring me into their fold if I kind of dial back the gospel talk. It kind of reminds me of Jesus' ministry, where on one hand, the zealots hated the Roman Empire and they sought to overthrow it. But on the other hand, the Sadducees believed that if you have an alliance, an agreement, a treaty, a pact with the Romans, it was the beginning of the messianic age. So what are we supposed to do? Door A or door B? Here's the solution. Rest in God. Period. Rest in God. Don't complicate things in your life. Rest in God. That's it. Now, here's the thing. You all probably have a hundred things going on in your life, whirling around at a thousand miles per hour, and so you're trying to think proactively, how can I fix this? How can I solve that? How can I stand with this teaching? How do I not compromise in these little things? There will always be issues in our lives, and the solution will always be based on one thing. How are you doing with the Lord? That's it. How are you doing with God? Because if you're good with God, then you can bet He will lead you through the thick and thin. He will. And that's His promise. He's our shepherd. He's El Alam. If you're not good with Him, then you'll find that the path that you're on will be quite directionless and confusing and difficult. Also, our confidence, it can't be, cannot be in the impact we can or can't make in this world. Because why? it is up to God to change the world. You know that? You can't do anything. I can't do anything. God is one who will change even the most hardened of hearts. Amen? We might have social justice motivations and reasons to go stand up on our soapboxes. Or maybe for some of us, we just want to remain under the radar. But the answer comes from 2 Corinthians 10.3. Though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Meaning this, The solution to our government problems, to our cultural issues, to our personal conflicts, to our church dilemmas, cannot and will not be solved by any one of us but God alone. All the problems of life, it depends on whether you rest in God, whether you trust in God, whether you surrender to God, whether you follow his will and his ways. Don't place your hope or rest in yourself In your spouses, your children, your pastor, your life group, your church, in your work, your parents, or in anything or anyone else. Our confidence must be in Christ because all things will fail us. You know that? That's a scary thing. Turn to the neighbor and say, sorry, but you're going to fail me. Now turn to that same person and say, sorry, but I'm going to fail you. That's just the reality, isn't it? Our confidence has to be in Christ. All things will fail us. We have failed others. But true change, true revival, true unity, true justice and peace, it only comes when we rest in God by setting our hearts on Christ as our hope. Setting our hearts on Christ. Because if you set your heart on Jesus, the Son of the eternal God, get this, there will actually be hope. Do you hear me? You will actually find hope. What has the Lord revealed to us today? We have to humble ourselves under God's power. We have to pursue not only justice, but peace too. And we have to rest in God alone. Humbleness like the humility Christ displayed in submission to the Father's will. Peace and justice like the justice the death of Christ satisfied for us and the peace that he, his death gave us. And lastly, we must rest in God alone like Jesus who didn't follow the zealots, who didn't follow the Sadducees, but placed his rest in the knowledge that his father was El Olam. That he was and is the eternal God. That it would be in God's way and in God's time that his kingdom would come to fulfillment. Brothers and sisters, friends, are you trusting in our El Olam, in our God who is eternal? Trust in him by resting in him. You will find that all of your life problems, they may not go away. Your circumstances may not go away. But you will find the satisfaction, the fulfillment, the peace that the world cannot offer. But can only be found in Christ alone. Amen? Amen. Bow has heads. us pray. So Father, we thank you for your message. And we do thank you, Lord, if for the ones here who have heard your voice, speak so loudly, so clearly. We know again it's not it's not an easy message. The gospel is not an easy message. Because the gospel not only forces us to recognize the sins of others, but to recognize the sins that we have. And our need to repent. Our need to surrender. Our need to say, God, I can't actually do it myself. So I do pray not just for individual humility, but I pray for corporate humility, all of us here, including myself that as a church here, at Shining Star Community Church, we would humble ourselves before you and ask God that you would just work through us, that you would use us as your agents to advance your kingdom one soul at a time, to proclaim your truth to one soul at a time and declare your glory. Use us, Father. And if there's anyone here who's resisting, including myself, because... We're so good at that. We're so good at rebelling. We're so good at saying, I don't need you, God. I, I, I pray that you would supernaturally just break us down. I pray that you would break down that wall, of that barrier that has just brought such skepticism, such doubt, such unbelief, such hardened hearts in our lives where we, where we almost think we're God or where we're mad at you, where we're angry with you. Father, that you will reveal that you are God of love to us today. That you are God who is truly faithful and truly good. And that true peace and true justice and true goodness can only be found in you alone. Lead us today, Father. Father. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to give you guys just a moment to pray. Pray your prayer. Meditate on what you've heard just for a moment, and we'll go into our last song. Let's take this time and pray.